Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's The Upper Room. Our podcast addresses the Christian's role in today's culture. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Now let's get going. Well, alrighty then, this is Associate Pastor Scott Kimball from Bible Fellowship Church, and I just wanted to come on and talk a little bit about some things that are going on, and we didn't have a lot of things scheduled on the slate for today, and some of the things we've got in the works weren't quite ready for today, so I wanted to go ahead and just do a direct message and talk about some things that are on my mind. Uh, One of the things in particular is the new federal holiday that's been signed into law, uh, which is Juneteenth. And for those who maybe don't know uh, about Juneteenth, it's been a holiday celebrated within the state of Texas for a while and a few other areas scattered around the country. And it was the day that the federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, and informed the slaves there that they were free. And uh, I think, you know, I'm kind of surprised, I guess, after... You know, so many years that we didn't actually have a federal holiday celebrating the end of slavery. It seems like that's a pretty major issue. Um, some might suggest maybe that that Memorial Day might kind of be part of that because of the number of soldiers on both sides that died to to decide that conflict and to bring freedom uh, to the slaves that were in America at the time. But I think you know, by and large, that um, it's one of those issues in our country that I think, well, there's two sides to it. It seems like there's one side that thinks that the more you talk about it, the more you dredge it up, the worse it gets. And so let's just not talk about it. And there's another side that says, well, no, we need to talk about it. You know, we need to rip the Band-Aid off and it's the only way healing can eventually occur. I I guess that's the group that's kind of running things now is the ones that want to rip the Band-Aid off and and uh, maybe actually finally fully heal the festering sore. I mean, that's me being optimistic, maybe. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that make a living off of stirring up racial hatred and would like to to see that continue because that's their livelihood. You know, but I guess that's the pessimist in me, uh, you know, bringing up that point. But I'm I'm okay with having a holiday celebrating the end of slavery. I I think it is a good thing, ultimately, that uh, we recognize that we had this thing going on in our country, something that, you know, the founding fathers didn't feel like they could tackle uh, was going to mean the difference between whether or not all 13 colonies became states or whether or not some would uh, go their own way. And so the only way they could talk those states into being part of the union was to not prohibit slavery at that time. But I think that was kind of always in the cards. If you read the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, there's a lot of language in there that doesn't say anything particularly about slaves and actually gives those states that had slaves less representation in Congress because they couldn't count all of their slaves as individual citizens because they weren't actually citizens. They were slaves, right? So that's the whole three-fifths clause, um, you know, which a lot of people like to twist and say that means that, you know, slaves are only three-fifths of a human. And that's not the, that's not the intended 
intention behind it all. It was to limit the amount of representation that sort of the slave states could have in the Congress um, by counting their slaves as citizens when they didn't give them citizens' rights. So it, in some ways, it makes a lot of sense. And three-fifths, I think, is actually kind of generous uh, for that reason. But having uh, looked at all of that and, and seeing um, maybe maybe this is a progress, something that's possibly moving forward here. I hope it is. Uh, that's my hope is that this will be something that, you know, will help encourage more healing, maybe more thoughtful and more productive dialogue uh, instead of the constant uh, ugliness back and forth that we're seeing now. So uh, with that said, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because it kind of dovetailed in with Don's sermon on Sunday, and I wanted to look at one particular aspect of it. And in part of the sermon, he was in Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah chapter 11 starts out uh, by saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins." And I think anybody and everybody who's really concerned with having a society where people are treated equally and fairly would just shout amen at that at that verse. I mean, that's kind of the what we're all looking forward to as believers is that day when Christ is on the throne and this becomes a reality. Because quite frankly, we see that there is injustice in the world. There is a lack of equity in the world. People are treated differently um, based on their culture or their melanin count or whatever. I mean, we seem to divide each other up into these little various groups and and treat one another differently based on where we fit in these groups. And that's kind of crazy if you think about it. You know, if you really sit down and think about it, the assumptions that we're that we're living under that we're making, I, I reject. I don't believe that that we there are multiple races of people. Um, I think there is essentially one race, the human race. And if you want to look at it biblically, you could maybe divide us up into two races, um, those from the first Adam and those of the second Adam, right? So we're told that after that the people who lived before Christ were looking forward to a coming Messiah, a Savior, and the people after Christ are asked to believe in the one that came. And if you believe in the one that, that came, and you believe that he came— he lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for our sins and took on our sins um, in his death and was buried and resurrected. And now we await his return. He ascended into heaven and now we're waiting for his return. Uh, if you believe those things, then we believe that scripture says that you were indwelt with his Holy Spirit. You were put into the body of Christ. And so therefore, if you think about it in that way, there there's maybe two uh, human races now. You know, those are the second Adam. And so we live in, in a unique time. You know, we are told that, that we are a, a new creation. And so in looking at this verse and, and or this group of verses in Isaiah chapter 11, you know, this whole idea of uh, he shall not judge by what his eyes see in verse three. 
and decide disputes by what his ears hear. I was looking at some of the commentaries, and if you look at Constable's notes on this, um, he says on that verse 4, justice for the poor was hard to find in the ancient world because the poor could not afford to bribe their judges, and they possessed little political influence. Um, That's not too different from today, really, right? I mean, if you've got lots of wealth, uh, where you can afford to buy, you know, to employ the best attorneys to to get you out of trouble, you're going to do better than the than the poor guy who has to rely on the state sponsored attorney that's there to defend you, and and so it's always been that way. Uh, it always, I think, will be that way until Christ returns. Um, and then it goes on to say, his words of judgment would result in the death of the wicked rather than giving them preferential treatment for what they could do for the judge. Um, clearly, this king would acknowledge God as his sovereign. So we see that that Christ, when he comes and he's ruling in the millennial kingdom, that he will have absolute authority. He will have the authority of life and death. Um, he will be able to hear the case of, of people who have been wronged, and he will be able to make a judgment uh, on that person's behalf that will be just, that will be righteous. That won't be simply revenge, but will be doing the right thing in that case. And so it's a it's a it's a good passage. It's one of those passages that just kind of makes your spirit soar as you think about what's to come and and how much better it's going to be than what we're living under now. One of the interesting things, though, in the verses, it talks about he shall not judge by what his eyes see or dis, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That seems kind of strange when you first hear that because that's what a judge typically does, right? A judge listens to what the two sides have to say and then looks, you know, looks for their body language and whatnot to, to see if they're telling the truth or not. But you got to remember that Jesus is also divine. You know, he, he understands what's in the heart and he can see right through, uh, whatever the person is saying, or even the body language the person is using to get their point across and go right to the heart of the matter and know exactly what, what is right or what is wrong in that case. You know, it really will be the only time when you will get a a fair hearing or a fair judgment, um, you know, and we're, we, we're not going to see that in this life In this life that we're living now, you know, you're doing the best you can. If, if you're a good citizen, you keep your head low and you don't do anything that, that causes the authorities to come after you. Um, because then you are in that system of having to bring your case before a judge, having to try to convince a judge, you know, of your, um, righteousness in the situation or whatever, and they may not go along with you. You know, if the other guy's got a better attorney or whatever and can make a better case, you may not win that judgment. So, you know, justice in this life at this time is something that we strive for. I mean, we don't want to just throw it out and say, oh, well, there is no justice. We're just not going to worry about it. No, we want to see justice. Um, but we also want to be careful about how we define our terms and what we consider to be justice. Uh, some people want it. Want it, who feel they've been wronged want to take it too far. So in a case, you know, let's say you're in a store and somebody says something mean to you and, and hurts your feelings and then decides that they don't like your attitude and they kick you out of their store, right? And so you get angry and, and you say, well, they, they did that wrongfully and you sue them and you take them to, to court and the, say the judge agrees with you and says, yep, you, you were right. You, should, you were treated unfairly. The, the owner of the store owes you X amount of dollars in, in uh, reparations or whatever. Uh, that would be considered maybe a, a fair judgment. Um, but 
in today's society, it seems like what they really want is they want that store owner out of business. They want to make sure he can never open another business in his life. They want to see him poor and destitute and out on the street. You know, that, that unfortunately is kind of the modern idea of justice. You know, it's not so much getting back in proportion to the way you were treated. It's total annihilation. It's you, you don't deserve anything. You know, you are worse than a, than a worm. You know, you, you deserve every awful thing that can be brought to bear against you. And you see that the way these online mobs go after people and, and shut them down to where they can't work anymore. They can't, everybody knows who they are. They, they can't say anything. They can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. I, I think it's just, it takes it too far. That's not justice. That's revenge. That is uh, taking things to another level that's just not right. And so that's not just either, right? That's an injustice uh, for those that are calling for justice. And then in verse four, it says, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor, which kind of sounds interesting when you first hear that. And Pastor Don explained what that likely means is that he, the poor will get a hearing before this judge, not that he's, you know, making a judgment against the poor. It's, it's that in judging the poor, he is hearing their case and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, right? So the people who, who and, and also on the poor question, it's, we're not talking necessarily about financially poor. You know, it could be those that are disadvantaged. It could be somebody with a uh, physical li- or a, a mental limitation or whatever that prevents them from, from uh, participating fully in society. Um, but it also says it will decide, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The meek being the, the people who... Uh, go about their business and live their lives. They're not grandstanding. They're not trying to make a name for themselves. They're not trying to, you know, be the top dog or whatever. They, you know, they want, they, they do what they do. They have their role in society and they do it faithfully every day, quietly, and just go about their business. And a lot of times those people get trampled under, you know, when the people who do want to make a name for themselves decide they're going to you know, um, buy up this neighborhood. That's something crazy that's been going on lately. There's these large hedge funds that are um, buying up whole neighborhoods and turning them into rental properties. And it's got people a little bit freaked out because um, they're thinking that, well, what happens if all these hedge funds start doing that pretty soon? You won't actually be able to own a house anymore. You know, the whole American dream of of owning your own home and having your little white picket, you know, gate around your property and your 2.3 kids and your pet dog or whatever will all be gone. If we go back to this whole idea of Lords and serfs and, you know, only the wealthy own property and everyone else just rents from them. And so there is some concern about that. And I, I kind of understand where that's coming from. And I think it is something that would have to be watched and maybe something that would have to be regulated in the future. I don't know, you know, but, and there is a proper role for government in those kind of things. Uh, we just need to make sure that whatever government decides to do in those situations, that you pay attention to the unintended consequences of what they decide to do. And then uh, the verse goes on and talking about, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. You know, that idea again, that he's got absolute authority, you know, but righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the belt in the commentaries, it talks about the belt being the thing that kind of holds your whole ensemble, you know, all your clothing together and uh, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. So chapter 11 is, is a good verse. And I think these first 
um, five verses or verses that I think all of us instinctively, intuitively, I guess, know inside that this is really what we want for our future. This is what we would love to see our government officials and whatnot do now in this life. But I think we have to be realistic and know that, you know, we're still dealing with fallen people and we're nobody is without sin. And so people are still generally, even though they're public servants, they still are looking out for their own interests in most cases. And so, you know, they want to get reelected. And, and unfortunately, it's a system that kind of perpetrates that. So we want to try to um, be realistic in our expectations, look forward to the return of Jesus, um, the beginning of the millennial kingdom, and the time in which we can live under a government that actually does deal in righteousness, and there it will be justice and there will be equity under, under his rule. Uh, in the meantime, just to kind of go back and, and look again at, at this whole idea of Juneteenth and whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing, there is some concern because they actually label it not just Juneteenth, but Juneteenth, uh, I think, an Independence Day or something like that, which draws confusion with July 4th, Independence Day, and, or creates up an alternate Independence Day based on your skin color, which obviously is a, would be a bad thing. I think Juneteenth is something all Americans should be able to celebrate, the ending of slavery. I think that's a that's a good thing for us to celebrate. Um, but we don't want to take away from our July 4th Independence Day as well, uh, the day in which the Constitution and everything and our independence was put in place in order to make possible uh, a future that didn't have slavery uh, to make possible a future where everyone in the country, regardless of skin color, could have the opportunity to make something of themselves. So, I, and you know, as a Christian, I think within the church, I think there's still um, some reconciliation that could probably be done. We could probably do more as Christians to be more open to people who don't look like us, you know, that don't look like our group. And I think it's important. I think it's something that we should all strive for. And I think at Bible Fellowship Church, we do a pretty good job of it. Um, I don't see any overt acts that would make anybody uh, of any background say, oh, yeah, I don't know if I want to be here. And so we try to be open and welcoming, and uh, we try not to be monolithic. And we, we try to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to hear the word and be discipled, because um, ultimately we, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, there ought not be any of this animosity uh, between us because our skin color is different. You know, again, we're all part of the human race. We're all children of God. Um, God made each and every one of us, and he extends the opportunity for salvation to each and every one of us. You know, salvation is, is one of those things that uh, it's based on belief. It doesn't say only, you know, only dark-skinned people can enjoy this or only light-skinned people can enjoy this. Uh, and in fact, it's it's open to open to everyone. And so I, I think on this day and celebrating this holiday, I think it's something that as believers we can maybe work a little harder towards and try to be the people that we ought to be, that scripture says we ought to be. And that, uh, with that, you know, I just want to wish everybody a happy, happy Juneteenth and, uh, and try to look at your own heart and look at your own thoughts. Do you hold prejudice against those who are a different skin color than you? 
Uh, is it actually because of their skin color or is it because their culture is different from yours? You know, this is one of those things that, you know, even coming from the other side, they, they like to paint all white people, if you will, as being kind of monolithic. We all think this way. We all have these certain beliefs and all that. Well, I can tell you, I've lived in four corners of this country. I lived in the, grew up in the Northwest, um, lived for three and a half years in the Northeast. I lived for 10 years in the Southwest, and now I live in the Southeast. And I can tell you that even amongst uh, white people, there's different cultures, different mannerisms, different foods, different expressions, um, different body language, different, you know, like living in the South now, everyone down here is very polite. People say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. People treat each other courteously. But the downside of the flip side of that is if they have a problem with you, they talk about it behind your back. And when you go into a restaurant, uh, one of the first things I notice is when you walk into a restaurant, everyone turns and stares at you. You know, they want to know, you know, who you are. And that's kind of how they do it. They all stare at you and you stare back and say hi or whatever. And then everything's fine. Whereas in the Northeast, uh, when I was there, the people there are more abrupt. Some people might say that it comes across as being maybe even a little abrasive. But I can tell you from having lived there that the people there are just as welcoming and just as warm as anywhere else I've lived. And more so in some cases, and they would, you know, take the shirt off their back to help you out if you're in a time of trouble. But what they do is they don't hold back what what they're thinking about you. So if you've done something that's offended them or wronged them in some way, they tell you about it. They come to you about it. They they get on your case about it. And the first couple of times that happens to you, it's a little uncomfortable. But you, after a while, you learn to appreciate it because you always know where you stand with somebody. They don't talk about it behind your back. In the Southwest, uh, the people there, you didn't make eye contact with people. If you're walking down the street and somebody's walking, you kind of look away. You don't make eye contact with them. Uh, if you make eye contact with somebody in the Southwest, and I'm talking, I lived in New Mexico for 10 years in Albuquerque, that's considered a sign of aggression. You know, you're being aggressive. Uh, when you pull up next to somebody in a traffic light, you, you shift your car a little bit either before in front of or behind their window. So you can't look directly over at them. They can't look directly over at you. If you pull up right next to them where you can look at each other, that's considered aggressive. And, and unfortunately in Albuquerque, that's a good way to get shot. People pull guns. If they think you're, you know, you're being aggressive toward them or whatever. And so, you know, but again, you know, there's people there that are wonderful people, shirt off the back kind of folks, help you out in a time of need. I found most of those people, though, our, our inner circle of close friends like that were within our church. You know, they were other Christians, other believers. Uh, not everybody was was like that, you know, there, but it was just that was part of that culture that was there. You know, and then in the Northwest, the culture up there is very largely atheistic. You know, we were. We were a Baptist church up there. I was growing up. I didn't know many people that were churchgoers or Christians. You know, they, it was more of a very independent spirit, uh, very strong-willed, um, very uh, stubborn, hard-headed uh, people that are very opinionated and and stick to their opinions. You know, it's very hard to to sway somebody to your opinion on something. And uh, it's just differences, you know, but to, so to paint people just because of their skin color is sort of monolithic and how they think and act and the values they hold. That's not true. Um, even among people that are the same skin color, you know, depending on the area of the country you live in, you may have vastly different um, viewpoints. You may have vastly different values, 
you know, things that you hold dear or hold important. So I guess what I'm saying is, is what it boils down to is we all just need to extend each other a little grace. Uh, One of the things I've learned over the years in, in studying scripture is that so much of the problems and the difficulties that people have in dealing with one another could be alleviated if they just extended each other a little grace. And so, and, and remember, you know, if somebody's, you think somebody's wrong and you are not treating you right and you're wanting to, to get even with them, remember the, how you uh, treated the Lord and the, what the Lord had to forgive when he forgave you. And that helps keep you in the right frame of mind where you can extend grace to people who, you know, maybe aren't treating you like you think you ought to be treated. You know, are they truly treating you badly or is your pride getting involved at that point? You know, it, it's a question. It's something we all struggle with and it's something, you know, that we all fail at from time to time. You know, I'm certainly not exempt from it or immune to it. And uh, I, I think it's one of those areas where we just need to continue to work and grow and learn how to extend each other a little bit of grace. You know, be be the people we want to be, be the people we wish everyone was. And uh, maybe we, maybe we can start something in this country that'll that'll change uh, change things for the better. So with that, I'd like to go ahead and uh, close us out in prayer and give you a little food for thought. Hope it helps, Heavenly Father. I come before you thanking you, Lord, for this opportunity to get in front of this microphone and just kind of talk about the things that are on my mind. And I thank you, Lord, for those who are willing to listen and willing to engage and and get in discussion about it. Father, I pray that uh, as our country moves forward and and we've now passed this holiday of Juneteenth, I pray, Lord, that it helps. I pray, Lord, that it has a positive effect and that people are willing to embrace it with the goal and the idea of brotherly love and reconciliation for you know just generations of things in the past that have that have been handed down from generation to generation and and made uh, some folks in our society miserable and unable to uh, participate fully in the American dream I pray father that as a church you would help us to to be those people those peacekeepers uh, the ones who can help to bring about reconciliation I ask, Father, that uh, even within the church, there's a lot of argument over what ought to be taught or not taught in schools, and a lot of churches are embracing some doctrine that may or may not be biblical. I pray, Lord, that that you would help those who are studied and those who are deep into the scriptures to help explain to the rest of the body of Christ, you know, what is biblical in this situation and, and how... Um, can we come at things from a biblical perspective that might help again to bring about a reconciliation and bring about peace that uh, we might truly live in a, in a time of grace and peace. Father, I look forward to your second coming. I look forward to a kingdom in which everything is dealt with in righteousness and that uh, people who are downtrodden and people who are need to have their case heard will get a a fair and just treatment and i pray father and look forward to those days and i ask all this in jesus name amen i hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought-provoking the upper room is a bible fellowship church production 
The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church.